You are tuned in to the new Numa Godcast, hosted by Norman Brown, aka Professor, and Justin Foster, where we address the taboo from a biblical view. Our podcast is all about real talk with new life. And quite frankly, you'll either love it or you won't, because we deal with tough topics that the church rarely touches. Somebody's got to do it, and that's why we exist. So just sit back, chill, and enjoy the ride, because it's going to be good. Peace. What's up, Giovanni? How you doing? Doing well, man. How you doing? I'm good, man. For all those that are listening, I'm I'm here with Giovanni Patterson. He's a Baltimore native, running for the city council president, and um, we're just gonna have a little session where we're talking about, you know, what he's doing in the community, um, what he's trying to, you know, uh, accomplish with Baltimore City and so forth and so on. But before we get into that, man, um, how was your weekend? It's been good, man. Um, you know, a lot of events have been happening this week. Uh, I work with the Frederick Douglass Foundation and we partner with uh, Students for Life of America and we, we got Black Preborn Lives painted in front of Planned Parenthood uh, this weekend. Um, you know, and also, you know, also just spending time with the family this weekend, man. It's, uh, it's been, been cool, you know, Labor Day weekend. Yeah, yeah. That's what's up, man. Well, I know that... Um, Along with that kind of event, you know, I wish I could have been there for that. Um, but I know that along with that kind of an event, that you're going to have some backlash and so forth and so on. And as you were telling me, there was Black Trans Lives Matter on the, uh, yeah, on the premises. So, and, well, so there's other locations around the city that has different murals. Okay. Um, from Defund the Police to Black Trans Lives Matter. Um, the only one that's gotten a permit was the Black Lives Matter that's painted in, in front of City Hall. Okay. Uh, but there, there's streets now are open for, I guess, uh, it, it's now a forum now of, you know, of expression. Of expression okay. Yeah. So I know that um, you were saying something about yours got like uh, power washed away already. Yeah, yeah. So um, we were out at 5 a.m. Uh, we got the, the message painted. We had a worship service around 8.30. Uh, and 9 o'clock, we had a press conference. And probably by 10.30, the, what we had painted was removed. Oh, wow. Now, we've never seen a response that quick from, from DPW uh-huh. or the city. You know, right now, we yeah. still have trash being piled up. Uh-huh. Recycling's exactly, not being collected. Right. Uh, but somehow, <laughs> on Labor Day weekend, <laughs> on a Saturday morning, uh-huh. DPW can respond uh, in record time. Yeah, exactly, right. I can't stand that kind of stuff, man. Like, like I've been looking at, even around my neighborhood, and I look at how much garbage is all over the place. I remember that at one point in time, it was like two weeks into this whole thing where they were talking about um, Baltimore City was shut down and they're not doing stuff or whatever. And all of a sudden, we started looking like places in the Dominican Republic <laughs> where they got garbage piled up and everything. I'm like, what the heck is going on? Are we in a third world country now? Yeah, man. Once you get, once, it seems like once you give the, the city an excuse not to do something, they'll find and, and take that that excuse to not do it. Yeah. Uh, no, no thought about you know the people and how it affects them. I mean, even before. Uh, COVID started, there were people complaining um, and wanting two, 
two trash collections a week. I mean, yeah, and now exactly. you reduced it to zero uh-huh. <laughs> or yeah. once a month. Yeah. You know, it, you can only imagine how, how bad things can get. Wow, man. And then it even makes me wonder about the people that's working for them. So I guess that means that they just don't get paid for like a month or something. Well, who knows? I mean, <laughs> the I haven't uh, read through it, but the Baltimore Sun just recently released um, uh, an, an article detailing the salary of, of every city employee. They wow. said it's about 590 pages long, so. Wow, that's be, crazy. Uh, that's a long. <laughs> <laughs> I have to look at that digitally and, and do a word search. Yeah, say, okay, absolutely. let me look for this number. <laughs> but um, man, that's crazy. Well, I tell you, man, like at this point in time in history, I guess you could say, whether it be Baltimore City's history or the United States history, we are at an interesting place right now. And, um, and, and just for the audience that's listening, we are on location at Federal Hill. So that's why you hear some background noise. You might hear some kids, you might hear the boats for Trump or whatever, all this kind of stuff. You hear that in the background. So it, I, we, we picked this location. Both of us felt it. Yeah. He said it before I said it. I was thinking it, you know, so this is the location we chose. Um, I think it's fitting because this is a man who, who is trying to do stuff for the people. So the bottom line is, if you're trying to do something for the people, then be where the people are, right? So that's what we're doing. Um, so look like we got some triplets here. We got triplets here? Wow, man. How you doing? <laughs> wow. Okay. That's the first time I've ever seen triplets in my life really? in person. Wow. In person. Wow. I've seen twins, but I've never seen triplets in person in front of my face. Oh, wow. Wow, okay. So anyway, uh, <laughs> yeah, so the bottom line is um, we're out here in Baltimore City, downtown, Federal Hill area, historic location. Um, whether you're talking about way back in the days when we were fighting, uh, you know, wars and stuff or whatever, but, you know, um, now it's been built up. It's a really great community. Um, uh, of, of a lot of things in this area now so it's pretty cool you know to be able to stay be here on location yeah. you know what I'm saying Absolutely. so um, so let's get into uh, your story a little bit man um, so I know you're from Baltimore and um, so tell me about like what it was like for you growing up in Baltimore City so um, so I, I actually didn't grow up in the city okay um, so I was born here I was born at Park Heights um, you know, and around three years old, my my mom and um, she had re- recently gotten married. So my mom and dad, uh, we all moved to South Carolina. Okay, That's what part? Dad's family's from uh, Greenville area. Yo, I'm yo, I'm <laughs> telling you right now, this is gonna bug you out. When I was eight years old, we moved to South Carolina, and we were living in Sumter. Wow. wow. <laughs> wow. So, so, you know, my mom, um, you know, was born and raised here. Yeah. Uh, my, my grandmother, my grandfather, so my roots are, are really deep in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, my, my mom's brother was killed um, before I was born, or, you know, yeah, just a, like a little, like a year or two before I was born. Um, and you know that kind of set her on the mindset. Hey, I grew up here. I don't want my son kind of being in the same environment, yeah. uh, living in the you know potentially having the same fate as my brother. Yeah. Uh, so we moved to South Carolina. Um, so I, I was there from age three to eighteen. Uh, I went to 
Benedict College in Okay, in, I um, remember that school. <laughs> okay. <in Columbia. laughs> and um, after that, I actually moved back to Maryland, moved, back, moved, moved to Baltimore at age 19. Okay. Um, so, so since 19, I've been here. Uh, but as far as my childhood growing up, you know, it was always big on family. Uh, you know, my dad, you know, he worked, he showed us how to work hard. He was always honest. And my brother even says this to, the, to this day. Uh, one thing about my dad is he was consistent. There was no different Mr. Patterson at work as there was at home. He was always fair. He was always the same. Um, and he always stood on his principles. And that's the same thing, you know, that he instilled in us. So that family structure, um, my, you know, I'm the oldest of four, and having my siblings and, and seeing that in action, how tight-knit we were as a family. Now, we didn't always agree. Mm. We, all, we There was fights. Yeah. There was some knockdown drag uh. But at the end of the day, like, <laughs> at the end of the day, we're, we're oh. all family. We're all Pattersons. Um, you know, and, and we, we all made it out. So, <laughs> so you got four of you. And you got brothers and sister, or just... I have one brother and two sisters. So oh, okay. Two, I have even... one sister and two brothers. I'm the oldest as well. Okay. Of wow. four. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, we got a lot in common, man. man. Yeah, man. Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. So basically, um, were they when you growing up though? Was your family uh, Christian or what? Yeah. So my dad actually, um, my, my mom and dad, uh, you know, got saved. Probably when I was about four, three or four years old, maybe, maybe five. I, I, I don't know the exact year, yeah. man. I, I don't have yeah, that. You were a little kid. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but my dad is so strong and, and um, passionate about that story because the day he got saved, you know, he flushed all his uh, cocaine down the down the down oh, the wow. toilet okay. um, and down the sink because uh, he was a person, you know, that would go out and party, go out and. Uh, due to drugs and, and everything, it's like the day he got saved, you know, it was all wiped away and wiped clean. Yeah. Uh, so he's a big advocate on, on that now and helping, um, you know, people overcome addictions and, and being a minister, uh -huh. um, you know, to people with drug addictions and things like that. Uh, so, okay. so my household was, you know, was Christian and actually both of my parents are preachers. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so, okay. So you know, it, it, it turned. You know, and they know. You know what they say about preachers' kids? Uh -huh. Sometimes be the worst ones. But yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I, we did grow up with a foundation, and, yeah. and um, you know, I actually played drums in the church and all okay. that stuff too. So growing up, you know, I was in the church as well. That's crazy, man. Because here I am. When I was coming up, I was into singing and playing a musical instrument. I was playing the sax yeah. when I was growing up in the church. Yeah. And my mom is the one who decided to present instruments to me. I didn't, I wasn't even thinking about that. Wow. I don't know what made her think about it. I just, I wasn't thinking about instruments, but my mom one day comes to me, she's like, okay, you got a choice. You either get a trumpet or you get a saxophone. Which one do you want to play? It wasn't, do wow. you want to play an instrument? Right. Which one do you want to play? You know what I'm saying? So I was like, all right, I'll take the saxophone. That's how I went down. And then my my cousin, who's about a year and some change younger than me, he chose the trumpet. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So then what we, we, we actually ended up, um, um, we learned our instruments pretty well. We were yeah. both pretty good at what we, we were doing. Awesome. And we know, obviously, there had to be a gift to it because we would actually go 
after a certain amount of time, and it, it wasn't that long, man. Literally, I probably was like 13, going on 14 maybe, when we were so good that we were traveling with my uncle who played the keys, and we would play at different places. We would play our instruments. So we even went to Benedict College and played up there one time. But I was a teenager, you know what I'm saying? Um, I think maybe I was 14, 15 at the oldest when we went there, you know what I mean? So it's just crazy how like, you know, you take a gift like that and it develops and whatnot. But anyway, my point is that I did the same similar kind of path with with music, you know what I'm saying? But um, so bottom line is um, you were doing that in church and you were drumming all this kind of stuff. Audience, I don't think we had to worry about that. I think that was like a, a nail gun or something. <laughs> I don't think it's anything serious. <laughs> if you happen to hear that in the background, it sounded like a kind of like a gunshot a little bit. But anyway, um, yeah. So uh, here we are. Um, you're in. You're in the church. You're doing the drums and all that. So what was it that made you get into drums, though, of all this stuff? Um, there was another member of my family that was a drummer, and he actually gave me this um, this drum clinic tape. It was okay, a, yeah, yeah, tapes back then, yeah. VHS tape. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I just remember watching that, and I think at, at age eight, that's uh-huh. when I really started getting the interest. Um, I self-taught, I learned it all, all on my own. Uh-huh. Um, and then in middle school, I took band class and played the snare drum, so I started learning to read a little bit of music yeah. and stuff like that. Um, but uh, it was, it was, it was re- I think it was just really a seed that my, my cousin planted a long time ago, and mm-hmm. it just grew from there. And, okay. And I got my first drum set again at 8, um, and then by, I guess, 12 or, or, well, probably like 11 or 12, I actually started saving my own money to purchase my own drum set. Yeah. So, okay. you know, so I, I bought my, I bought a drum set for myself at yeah. about 12 or 13. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, it's, that that's really what planted the seed. Okay. Got my cousin. Wow, man, that's crazy. My uncle, who now plays keys mostly, mm-hmm. he does play drums too. Um, it's almost like he does that more for nostalgic purposes yeah. now. But he started with the drums and then he went into keys. And it was something about my grandmother said that she um, she was told by the Lord that he was going to be a keyboardist or whatever. Uh-huh. So she bought it by faith, a, a piano yeah. for him. And then he just rejected it at first. <laughs> and he didn't do anything with it for a couple of years or yeah. something like that, right? Or sometime. I don't remember exactly how long. But then all of a sudden he, st- he saw um, some people in a church that were his age that were playing keys. And then he started getting inspired. He's like, oh, wait a minute, there's young yeah, people yeah, doing this? So that's how he got into it all of a sudden. And then the Lord just caused him to just, boom, just take wow. off with his gift, man. Yeah. And he became really good really quickly. Yeah. And so there was an anointing. Obviously, there was an anointing and a gift there. So bottom line is, you know, that's how, um, kind of how I got into music through him because he was like, I don't know, uh, he he still doesn't really know what it was, but he was like, man, you just, you know, you go with something that you want to do or whatever, and you just do it. Yep. And so 
he actually formed me and my sister and two cousins into a group and we started singing in different churches and stuff like that and yo i'm telling you i wish i could have recorded the stuff that we did back then i um somebody told me that there are some that is hidden somewhere yeah, yeah. but the point is that we i'm not saying this because it was us but we literally there was an anointing on us that we sang really, really beyond our years. Right, right. And people would get blessed to the point where they would cry and all that when right, we would be right. singing at churches and whatnot. So yeah. I'm telling you, like, it was it was something that the Lord was on. He was with that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but anyway, so that's another thing, similarity there. So what about, um, I know you had, you know, uh, your little bumps and bruises growing up and everything, especially being, um, well, when did your parents become preachers? Let me ask that question first. Um, I, I think I was pretty young at the time too, so probably probably by the time I was in fifth grade, so age ten. Okay. Um, yeah. So I, my my mom actually w went first. Um, so I might have been younger than that because I remember I invited my second grade teacher, and it wasn't long after I was in second grade, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it was probably about eight or nine. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it was probably eight okay. or nine. Um, so, as you were getting introduced to them being preachers and everything, were you already, uh, were you already in relationship with the Lord, or were you just like you going to church because they making you go to church, or what? Like, how is that for you? Well. Um, you know, I had a lot of trust for my parents, so I think there, there was just uh, that strength of a relationship that they're my parents, and I'm trusting that they're uh, leading me and guiding me in, in the right way. I wasn't really that one to, you know, rebel against my parents. Yeah. Um, however, and I started reading pretty pretty early in my life too, um, but I, I remember, you know, reading, you know, Psalms or. Uh, Mostly songs when I was about five, four or five years old. Yeah. I was starting to read. So I had some level of interest in it as well. Um, I did go to a Christian school um, in kindergarten and the second grade and then partially in the fourth grade again. Okay. Um, so I, I, you know, I went to a Christian school, so there were some foundational elements there as well. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I... I, I I don't think I liked going to church at first. Yeah. You know, as a kid, you know, you sit there. Because uh -huh. we went to my family church oh, at, okay. at first. Yeah. Uh, before we went to a different church. So the family church, I mean, it was always hot and, 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 yeah. and you know, you always get your cheeks pinched and all that. Uh -huh. <laughs> I hear that. <laughs> you know, like, I don't think I was too interested in going as a, yeah. as a young age. So it was, it was the kind of thing of I'm going because they're going. Um, and mm -hmm. it wasn't until like I, I started seeing that I liked to play the drums as well. Um, you know, I've, I, I had the interest in the drums, so I started kind of wanting to go to church because the drums. Yeah, the yeah. drums were there, and, uh -huh. and um, you know, I, I think that's what kind of kept me in church at, at a young age. And okay. actually, honestly, through through the entire time, because ever since then I have been playing drums in church. Yeah. <laughs> I feel you, man. Well, um, ironically, for me, and I'm, and when I say this, I gotta, 
I got to preface it by saying I'm not going to say this to mean that one type is better than some other type or whatever per se. But what I, I'm going to say this way. When I was a little kid, um, I experienced some stuff that I didn't know. I didn't fully know the depth of it until about a month ago, maybe. And I had a conversation with my mom. She really opened up my mind to something that I didn't even realize about my childhood. Wow. And so it started with the fact that my mother growing up, she was, um, she's uh, from Baltimore as well. She actually used to go to a school that was not segregated. Now, this is before the 60s and all that. Okay. So, you know, yeah. there was segregation and stuff, uh -huh. right? But my mom was somehow in her situation, my grandmother made sure she went to a school that was integrated uh -huh. somehow. Wow. So, because of that integration experience, she didn't really know about in a personal way or in an experiential way about the segregation type of stuff in that respect. Mm -hmm. So she was used to being around different ethnic groups. You know what I'm saying? And at that time, it was probably mostly that it would be Caucasian and African-American more than anything else, right? But <clears throat> she was used to that. So that was part of her thing. The other thing was we actually had several churches that we went to before I was even eight years old where we were dealing with Caucasians in a church. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know, a, a diverse church in that sense. Yeah. So all the way through my early life up until, you know, I was like 12, I was experiencing that diversity. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, and I'm not going to say all of a sudden like I didn't see it before, but it became, I guess because of how old I was, it became extra, like I saw it extra, whatever. Like it was so obvious to me. The difference between a church that has diversity versus a church that's all African-Americans. You know what I'm saying? And I honestly, and I'm, I'm saying this because I relate to what you were talking about with the family church and all that. I actually hated going to the all African-American church. Yeah, because it was like, not only was it just a very the experience was not very enjoyable to me because it was just a whole different way of doing church. Yeah. I wasn't into their way, to be honest. I wasn't into it. Yeah. And so I would be most of the time when we would go to those churches, I'd be falling asleep in the back. <laughs> I, I, I think that's interesting because uh, we, so I, I, I was going to mostly, you know, mostly African-American churches all the way up until about, um, I would say, two years ago. So, you know, mostly African-American. Uh -huh. And then um, I started going to like a you know, non-denominational but multicultural yeah, uh -huh. type church. And, I, you know, like you said, I, I, I do tend to find the experience there a little bit more uh, meaningful for me. And, and here's why, or here's what I concluded yeah. as, as the reason for that. It's because, you know, um, in a multicultural church, you actually have to speak to the heart of the individual because you can't the cultures are, right, the cultures yeah. are, are, are different. Yeah. So you're actually addressing the heart of man instead of uh, the, the 
physical attributes of a person. Exactly. And I think the black church, you know, oftentimes gets caught up into that. Uh-huh. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't I haven't gone to too many, you know, what you call white churches, I guess. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you know, it, so I can't speak on on that side, but yeah. I do know from a, a mixed cultural environment. It's not just you know just a white and yeah. African American. Um, or, or whatever, but is you know Indian American, yeah, um, or, or whoever, yeah, uh-huh. you know, or whomever are, are coming to the church. So I just identified that hey, you have to speak to the heart of the person, yeah, instead of you know what's new and trending or what's the hashtag uh-huh. of the week. Yeah, uh huh. I like that that you put it like that, man. Because I'm gonna tell you, man, and I, I'm gonna just say this to address. Anybody who's listening to this who is going to a predominantly anything church, mm-hmm. whatever it may be, when you are going to that specific church, you're not getting the exposure that you should be getting to people in the body. Because here's the thing, whether you are going to die before Jesus returns or you die or whatever, your body gets changed when he returns, you're not going to be in all this place, okay? It's everybody's going to be there. And to me, a church is doing itself a disservice, specifically if you're in a place where you can have diversity. Not in a place like uh, you're just in some village somewhere in India or something like that, and that's all there is is Indians. I understand that. That's obviously you're only going to have Indians. But I'm saying if you're in a place like America or Australia or London or whatever, somewhere like that and um and by the way london i know is a city i just said london but i mean <laughs> england whatever you know what i'm saying if you're in a place like that where there's diversity you will have uh you should not see where it's like this limitation so to speak where people are only relegated to one group of people yeah. now it would be one thing if you said my main focus or my the, the 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 assignment that i was given by the lord is to concentrate on this group of people like i'm supposed to reach that group of people right there i understand that and i know people who do that um there's a man named david hogan who's from america who went to mexico this man is caucasian but he went to the mexican people and god sent him there for a purpose and now his ministry is blown up to where it's all over the world and all this stuff. But he started in a small place in Mexico that nobody knew about, nobody thought about or whatever. And he came out of there to now be an international man, you know, speaking everywhere. My point is this, that when you talk about the church as a whole, the diversity needs to be there more than a, uh, uh, exclusive, exclusivity, mm-hmm. exclusive, wait a minute, exclusive, exclusivist, <laughs> wait a minute, how do you say it? Exclusiveness, yeah, I'm just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exclusiveness, sorry, anyway. <laughs> um, so that's, you know, if you're trying to be exclusive versus inclusive, and by the way, that word inclusive has started to get a bad rap. So I'm going to make it very clear. I'm not talking about gay, lesbian, homosexual, all that. I'm not talking about that. But when I say inclusing, inclusive, in, inclusiveness, we're talking about all different ethnic groups coming together and then not just being about one ethnic group. We got, we got like 
Squirrels throwing acorns on us now. <laughs> oh man, this is what you get when you're outside. <laughs> but anyway, um, so that's my point, you know, and, and I'm glad that you brought that out, man, because like you say, it does speak to the heart. And I did find when I was in churches where it was all African-Americans, they would be talking about stuff dealing with color more so than any, I mean, you know, when they talking about issues, they'll be getting into that kind of stuff more. And to me, that continues a type of a cycle in a sense of hurt or whatever you want to call it that doesn't bring healing. It just continues to remind you of something that happened that you didn't like or whatever, you know what I'm saying? It's no different than if I cut you and I keep on touching your scab yeah. and you know what I mean? Like I, I just keep on doing yeah. that and you're like, wait a minute, this ain't never healing. Well, yeah. cause you keep picking on it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry to say, but you know, there was something that I heard a guy say um, recently. Um, I'm not going to say his name, but this guy, he's a famous singer or whatever. And he said, African-Americans in, in America need to get over slavery but the way he said it wasn't like forget it ever existed and all this kind of stuff what he was saying is you got to move past that and make stuff happen you can't be expecting that you know that's not going to that's going to always be in the background it's the same with the jews they still have the holocaust it happened yeah. but even though they're reminding themselves of that guess what's happening with the jews yeah, they're, they're progressing yeah. they're moving forward they're getting things accomplished they're making things happen and so the point is is that you can't just stay stuck on something that happened and that's why i like what you said but go ahead absolutely um but to, to that point a little bit i mean there, there's a legitimate infiltration of the Christian churches by um, by atheist influences mm -hmm. um, and part of it is to keep the Christian churches to dividing the people so that we can you know as a country uh, which is built on Christian judeo you know judeo-christian values um, is to really keep that that separate and there, there was something I was reading I don't know if familiar with the uh, Manning Johnson I have not so he, wrote, he wrote a book called uh, color communism and common sense uh -huh. um, and he speaks on how there's actually an inf a designed influence on the church to keep the churches uh, to continue these messages of you know hopelessness or um, disguising them you know in the word of god or keep keep these messages of, of separation mm -hmm. and um isolation or or victimhood yeah in order to maintain you wow. know to keep people separate because mm -hmm. one of the po most powerful voices of our communities are churches yeah exactly um, and if you know those can be used to even maintain a circuit certain mindset um you know then they're that's what's used yeah so there, there's some you know some research to do there but you know it, it is a very interesting um you know kind of dynamic because these churches which are supposed to bring a, a message of hope a message of unity um and you know and be what they call safe space now yeah <laughs> you know, are, are actually places that are really sowing the seeds of 
a division and to me it's sad to see yeah uh, but once you kind of wake up and, and and see what's see and recognize what's going on i mean it's easy to pick it up yeah man that kind of reminds me of that statement about sundays being the most segregated day of the week yeah. you know where all these churches are divided by a ethnic group yeah and um you know i said this another time i think on another podcast where i said if you are having your separate type of church because you all speak the same language and therefore you can't go to this church because they only speak english and you only speak this i understand that yeah. you gotta have you gotta have the place where you understand what's being said yeah. when the word is preached but when you go in there and you just dividing yourself from everybody else just because but it's not really like it's not welcoming of other people and you it's obvious by certain things that you do that is not really trying to welcome other people then that's a problem to me i don't like that at all that to me that does not represent christ doesn't represent the kingdom that's not what god is about he loves diversity that's why he made the coat of many colors among many other things you know there's so many different things that we could look around and see just right now in this in this vicinity of the different colors, shapes, sizes of everything that's here. Yeah. But all of this adds to the beauty of what we're in the midst of. Absolutely. We're in the midst of beauty and it's seen all around us. Yeah. So um, now as far as like when you were, you know, getting to your teenage years and so forth. Um, I mean, when did you actually come to a place where you said, you know what? I need to really get serious about the Lord and um, really give my life to his, Him. Um, it wasn't probably until thirty. Okay. It probably wasn't until I turned thirty where I actually had that moment where I'm like, I think it was more of like, I grew up a Christian. I grew up mm-hmm. in the church. I grew up, you know, believing certain things. Um, mm-hmm. things like that and then I never questioned why yeah you know what I mean I never questioned uh-huh. why do I believe this or how did I get to this point uh-huh. and it wasn't until about 30 years old you know yeah. when I actually did that um, and I just started reflecting on what it actually means to be a Christian why um, if, if I am a Christian why am I doing these certain actions it, you know it, it was like just like a real um, inward moment, you know, mm-hmm. actually examination and actually examining. Um, so that I think that's when you know, uh, around thirty, maybe thirty-one. That's what I. It, it was probably like a year's journey. Okay. Because uh, it, it was, you know, because I had gotten saved when I was like five. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I was, uh-huh. <laughs> you know. Um, but. Uh, you know, it was just like this process where I was starting to really examine, you know, what it meant to be Christian yeah. for me and, and why I was Christian. And, and you know, there was some intellectuals that I came across with and, um, you know, intellectuals are, are, you know, very smart. But they're, yeah. <laughs> but they're very to, dumb at the same time in yeah, certain things. Like, yeah, you know, um, <laughs> you know, very science based and uh-huh. things like that. So, you know, even some of those encounters actually really helped. Yeah. Um, because it, it it taught me how to challenge um, and and challenge my own self and challenge yeah. my own thoughts and uh-huh. and once once I got through that I was like oh that's why yeah. so so let me ask you this in, in light of that so when you were in your college days and then going between let's say eighteen to thirty mm-hmm. 
Like, what kind of stuff were you experiencing in that part of your life that was like, what was your journey like between that time frame? Because I already know, normally when people go to college, that's when they going really wild out or something in yeah. that time frame. So before we get to the part about you being 30 again, let's talk about what was going on between that time frame. I was never really a wild person. Like okay. I was never like a, a big time partier. Okay. I was never, um, you know, I, even to this day, I don't say cuss words. Like uh -huh. I was never yeah. like that type of person. Yeah. But I was, al I was always a watcher. Um, you know, so I, you know, I'd always watch what was going around on around me. Um, I would never judge anybody. Some of my friends were probably like some of the worst people you could probably be around. But uh -huh. like, hey, man, you, you cool with me, man. <laughs> you know, so I, I would uh -huh. never judge anybody for where they where they were, uh -huh. or anything like that. Um, you know, I may not do the same actions as you, yeah. or I may not partake in you know the same activities or anything like that. Uh -huh. um, but you know, I always just. Um, yeah, I just kind of always carried carried myself like that, and I, I did start, I did start seeing myself, I guess, sink for if you, for lack of a better way of putting it, around age 24, 20, 25. Um, you know, and that's you know a lot of things happen. Um, 25 is when you know uh, I you know I got my um, daughter's mom pregnant, uh, stuff like so. That's when I had my first child, um, and. <laughs> That's kind of when when I started. Um, I don't want to say like like going bad, bad, but it was yeah. just like in a more uncomfortable position than than I was before. Yeah. Um, so so that so yeah, I was, I, from eighteen to thirty, I was never like really wild or anything like that. Uh, you know, you've never seen me like you know jumping out of car or, or on the front page of uh, anything yeah. for, <laughs> or running down the street with no uh, clothes on because you know i drank too much no yeah. it was not, never anything like that yeah. um but you know i, I did you know i i did like um you know i, I did like women you know yeah was, of, course. Was, <laughs> of course of <laughs> course but i would never like you know mess with a lot and and, and there was like an internal conflict in, in me too because you know like listening to rap music or listening to hip-hop there was yeah. a certain lifestyle that they were living and there was part of me that wanted to live like that yeah but then when i would date or talk to a girl um or you know a young lady or whatever yeah. i would never come across uh -huh. as that guy I was always i always yeah. came across as the one that they wanted to Real marry us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel you, man. And I'm like, man, I don't want to be that. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, that's not what I'm trying to, I'm trying to act right you know? so There was a lot of hurt feelings in between <laughs> during, during that time. Um, yeah. You know, it's not, and I'm not, I'm not proud nah, of it. I know, but I'm it's just me having a daughter. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, it, it is. It was a time in my life where. Um, you know where that was going on and yeah you know, but, but it was it was an internal struggle i would say uh, i got you man i mean i i too was you know when i was in the navy it was during the college years yeah. you know what i mean so i kind of got into a little bit of partying and going to clubs and stuff like that the women all that so i do understand about that you know when you're going through a certain place in your life and i had grown up in a, a completely Christian family environment, all that kind of stuff, and um, I accepted the Lord into my life at a young age. I was fully entrenched into the things of God, 
I was representing him at church, at, at school rather. I mean, people knew me as uh, I had my Bible on my desk in the class and I was waiting for somebody to ask me a question about it. <laughs> I was just having sitting there. <laughs> and that started when I was in the ninth grade. I put it right there on my desk and I'll have it waiting just in case somebody asked me a question. And um, and I was hoping they would because I've always been that kind of person. Like I'm a, I'm a bold person. I'm gonna tell you like it is. Back in the day, it was a little bit harsh and I didn't know how to soften yeah. my blows so to speak by being seasoned with grace and whatnot so you know I was a hard pill to swallow at that point in time yeah. but uh over time you know God's tempered me and yeah, tempered yeah. my ways but anyway my point is that um I, I I know what you're talking about as far as going through that and um and how it wasn't like I was this wild wild person ever but you know I had a period of time where I wasn't really doing what I should have been doing for the Lord. So that's the bottom line, I wasn't. And um, and then about the age of 20, it was 22, uh, that's when I finally rededicated my life to the Lord. And since then I've just been, you know, on a progressive path to, you know, yeah. getting more and more entrenched into whatever it is that he has for me. So after 30, you're, you're already now, uh, I guess, you would call it rededicating your life to the Lord, right? And um, so what happens after 30? Because obviously between 30 and now, like how old are you now? 34. Okay, so between 30 and now, there's been um, some kind of political type of stuff that's happened in your life. So how did you get into the political arena? Um, well, I just saw that, well first off, the way Baltimore City's going, there's a lot of things, right? So, but uh, the, politically, the, the way Baltimore is going, um, I thought it was just in a terrible direction. I wanted to see my kids be able to grow up here, because mm -hmm. I think it's a, a wonderful place. I mean, right yeah. now we're um, in Fed Hill, probably one of the nicest parks in the country. Yeah. You know, looking, looking over the city exactly, and then yeah. over the harbor, things like uh -huh. that. So I want to be my, my my kids to be able to grow up in a de decent area, um, have a decent education. Uh, be able to walk down the street safely yeah. uh, without, you know, without fear um, and, you know, not subject, be subject to a lot of, you know, the potentially negative influence because, you know, the communities just aren't like that. Yeah. Um, so because I saw the leadership of the city not really promoting the, uh, promoting a good direction or, or taking, the, taking the city in a, a better direction, I decided, you know, it was time to to, to take a leap forward and, and actually put my name on a ballot. Okay. Um, also, you know, I, I do believe we need more Christians, actual Christians, uh, getting involved politically. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, because the, the general take is that uh, politics and church, are, you know, kind of remain separate. And, and they're also the two subjects you're not supposed to talk about with friends uh -huh. and family. Um However, we've, we've taken that to heart a little bit too much yeah. in saying that decisions that made are, that are made in City Hall, because there's a law, you know, they're ethical or moral, right? It's, yeah. That's really not, not the case, especially when we have a lot of secularist, secularists yeah. uh, creating, um, creating our laws. Yeah. Um, so 
I, I, I looked at it and say it's, time, it's really time for, for Christians um, to really come back. And, and during this campaign, man, there's been, uh, you know, so many moves of God. Like, it, it's, <laughs> like it, it, it's, 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 it's amazing. Yeah. And just some of the people that I've been able to connect, connect with, even, you know, if I was not running for office, I would not be sitting here on this interview right now connecting with Godcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, it, there, there's, there's a lot of, uh, you know, things that have come along with it. And, and um, but, but I, I just saw uh, that there's so much evil in this city. Uh, I'm not sure how many, how much you're aware of this as well, uh, but are you familiar with the group um, Ceasefire? Yeah, I've heard that. The Ceasefire group, right? Mm -hmm. So um, this is a group that their their whole plan, it's a non-profit, but their whole goal is to, you know, reduce the number of shootings, mm -hmm. um, you know, the new number of homicide victims. Now these are noble causes and we all want yeah. less violence in our city. Yeah. Wow. But something um, that they do when someone is, you know, when there is an act of homicide or a murder on the street, what they do is where that victim passed away or died at, uh, they they perform what these call um, sacred space rituals. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so there's like spiritual stuff. <laughs> yeah, so there's like a bunch of witchcraft. Yeah. There's witchcraft, you know, now just like, you know, being, not, I don't say rude, but it's, it's going on around the city because if we look at the amount of people that get shot, um, you know, my, my other question is, if these sacred space rituals work, why not just blanket the whole city? Exactly, <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> right? Okay. Just all over, right? uh -huh. but, but, but the idea is that um, there's these so many forms of rich, witchcraft now that, that are being accepted as norm, yet the Christian church... Uh, or the, the the Christians are being silenced and, and diminished. Um, so wow. And, so just, there's there's several aspects of it, but I just yeah. believe that Christians have to get involved um, at a at a political level. I agree, to man. have some insight in the legislation and and, and, and in city hall. So I want to say something to that real quick. First of all. Um, it's interesting that you were saying that ceasefire is doing these um, witchcraft type of ceremonies. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but you know, Baltimore City has been uh, known for witchcraft in a pretty big way, right? Um, the Druids mm -hmm. and the Celtics, they were people that were heavily involved in that. Yeah. And they brought that to Baltimore and that's why we have Druid Hill Park and stuff like that. Um, but the other thing is that uh, the Ouija board was made here in Baltimore City. Really? This is where it was, whatever you want to call it, invented or yeah. whatever, in Baltimore City. Whoa. So Ouija board, and I just saw some woman with the thing on her shirt the other day. She got the Ouija board name here and then the letters, how they got it set yeah. up and all that. And I'm like, Wow, you walking around with a curse on your shirt. I yeah. mean, what the heck is yeah. going on? Like, do you even know what you have on your shirt? And I'm pretty sure she probably does. But here's a point. That um, in this city, one of the things that... And, and, and before I go on with that, I must say this. 
I'm not one of those kind of people that's looking to say, where's the witchcraft and where's the evil stuff happening? I'm not one of those kind of people. But I'm also not deaf, dumb, and blind. And not having, I don't have my head in the sand and, and hoping I figure out what's going on. Like, I know things, I'm aware of things, I see things, I, you know, whatever. I will point them out. But I'm not looking for it, so to speak. I'm not trying to find it. But the point is, is that we do have that here in Baltimore. So with that being something that has already been almost like a, I'm not gonna call it a foundational thing, but something that has been in the fabric of Baltimore in certain ways and has not been uprooted completely, then I would expect that we would still keep seeing certain things like this. But um, as you, to your point about Christians being involved in politics, one of, the pro one of the problems that we are having in America right now is that there is a big movement. Well, let me not even call it big. Let me not say that because I'm giving it power that it doesn't really have. Yeah. But there is a movement in America where a few people have made a lot of big decisions happen. Or they've made a lot of big waves in the, in the significant ways because they've gotten into media, they've gotten into arts, they've gotten into... Um, politics they've gotten into the church literally they have been infiltrating every arena of life that affects all of us seven seven specific things that you seven specific what you may I don't know if you heard this about the seven cultural mountains but um, there's uh, there's this teaching that's you know pretty much in a lot of circles in the Christian in the body of Christ where it's called seven cultural mountains and 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 I always seem to leave out one of them, but I know it's politics, you got the re religious mountain, you got the media mountain, you got arts and entertainment mountain, you've got the educational mountain, you got economic mountain, and you've got the, um, see this is the way I always get it mixed up, it's another one, but it's seven of them. And if you look at all seven of those mountains, those are things that affect everything in life every continent on the planet is affected by these seven things and when you look at those seven things and you say okay why is it that people are so you know i'm gonna say on this thing about you know the gay and let excuse me the gay and lesbian stuff right now or whatever transsexuals and all that nonsense it's because those people who have been in those groups of those groups they have infiltrated into arenas and they have gotten into influential positions in those arenas where they can make decisions that are affecting a big vast group of people so that's why now because of a few people we got stuff in movies now we got stuff on tv we got stuff in commercials i mean literally we're seeing homosexuality in commercials now and i was like are you serious? Like, I mean, it's like that they keep going one step more, one more step, one more yep. step, you know, and it keeps on prevailing. But the point is, is that if we had Christians doing the same thing as these lesbians, homosexuals, people like that, that are pushing the agenda, then we can start to see changes in yep. the Christian direction. Yep. See, the problem is most Christians in the body of Christ are still thinking all they got to do is pray about something and things are going to happen. That's not how it works. If you just pray and you do nothing, nothing will happen. There has to be faith with action. The Bible says faith without works is dead. So the bottom line is 
if we get more Christians in a position of authority, because the people in authority are the ones that make the decisions. People who are in the government, legislation, senators, congressmen, presidents, whatever, those are the people that are making decisions. So we need to have more Christians in those positions and then we'll see more changes in, in the direction of biblical stuff. So continue what you were saying about that though. Yeah, um, I don't know if I have anything to add, but um, I will say this, um, the, my, my platform as a political candidate is about bringing family back. Um, and because I, I strongly believe the family unit is actually a representation of God's love on earth. When, when two can come together to procreate and then, you know, build the next generation, uh, that's an example of how, you know, God loves us and wants to pass love from generation to generation. Um, and if you notice, like every every worldly influence is designed to really try to break down the family unit or at least adopt uh, non-nuclear family ideals. Uh -huh. um, so, you know, that's why we see, you know, growth in the LGBTQ uh, community. And, and as a Christian, it's important not to judge, but also to speak out um, and, you know, without without hating them, but speak out against, you know, the lifestyle and things like that. Um, but, every, but the promotion of these things, every every one of them is, is anti-family unit, which is essentially um, a destruction of, of God's love on, on earth. And also, when you think about it, if you're talking about, let's say, I, I said this before, where you say everybody all of a sudden decided to be gay today, right? And nobody's having reproduction because you can only reproduce with opposites so therefore in a hundred years no more humans will exist from now if we said today everybody be gay a hundred years from now no humans exist and it's kind of crazy that you know there are these people out here that are called themselves lesbian or homosexual whatever but they will have sex with the opposite sex just because they want a child okay and I'm just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but then these same people want to deny science that, you know, a man is a man and the woman is a woman. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then they want to call themselves transsexual. I'm a, you're a trans woman, a trans man. Yeah, Come it's, on, it's dude. It's confusing. And I, I find it interesting, though, because uh, we just go back to, like, Adam and Eve when, when they ate from the tree. It's a tree of knowledge. Like, when you know about something, you could call something that isn't is right so yeah. i can call the truth a lie and the, and the lie the truth and that's that's what we're doing as you know as, as a society now at least from from my perspective yeah, exactly like we want people to adopt the lies now they started off kind of small so they seem like uh you know okay insignificant, insignificant like yeah, and, yeah like they but, weren't gonna make an impact uh -huh. <laughs> right but now now what we're seeing is is real truth coming out and i think now you know, a lot of people's faith is actually being challenged, um, and on what, what your your foundation or what your your your, your morals and your values, what they, what they stand for, yeah. um, and and you'll see that what you accepted and what you have allowed to accept until this point went against what you believe. Yeah. Um, and if if you don't see that, then you you're challenging: Are you really a Christian? Or are you really a person mm -hmm. of faith? Are you really uh, you know, really who you say you are yeah. at this point. But the lies now are just getting so big 
that honest to me it's, it's hard not to see when we can just sit here and say um, you know this guy is a woman and we clearly see that <laughs> you know he's a man or we have to call him something else than some binary you know you hear that stupid woman. term yeah. right binary something or, yeah <laughs> what the heck is that <laughs> you know we're starting to accept yeah. the lies and if we start if we keep accepting lies um, you know we either then you know we have to believe them or we'll have to eventually you know speak out and stand against it exactly and so one of the things that I want to just to it's kind of like reiterate something you said but I want to also add something to it you were talking about as Christians uh, we shouldn't judge now I want to add a, a scriptural balance to that the, the word of God has one there's one place where the Bible says judge not lest you be judged for with the same measure you judge you shall be judged mm -hmm. okay but then there's another thing it says um, judge the word that's being spoken by someone who's a prophet you have to judge it to know if it's really from God or not right then there's another there's other scriptures that talking about judging things by the fruit yeah knowing yep. things by the fruit if you look at the fruit you can judge whether that's good or bad fruit so the thing about judging is not about judging in the sense of making a decision on whether something's good or bad it's about making a decision on are you going to condemn somebody or not yeah so jesus said i didn't come to condemn the world but i came to bring eternal life so he also came to save that which was lost but here's the thing a lot of people when they're using that and this is not referring to you but a lot of people when they talk about don't judge me you can't judge me only god can judge me you know when they yeah. say stuff like that what they really try and say is only God can hold me accountable for my actions. Yeah. You can't hold me accountable, but yeah. that's a lie. Yeah. Because if we can't hold you accountable, then that means you wouldn't go to jail for killing somebody. Yeah, well, I mean, well, we're moving to that nowadays, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what yeah. we're moving to. But, I mean, and maybe I should be, I guess, a little bit more clear on it, because it is, it is easy, an easy phrase to say, like, uh -huh. you know, don't judge. Yeah. But what I, what I mean really by it is don't, um, don't, be a person that res is resenting what you see like don't you know don't hate the lgbt yeah. because they're they're lgbt whatever yeah. don't don't do that because that's not what we're supposed yeah. to do uh -huh. we're supposed to you know call a spade a spade mm -hmm. um but present it in love and you, you like yeah. you say season with grace right yeah <laughs> <laughs> right? so you're supposed to you know you're supposed to call out and speak truth and that that is true love is when when you're able to tell the tell the truth to someone yeah. um that is lost that is love right mm -hmm. yeah. it's not be it pacifying them is actually a representation of hate because yeah. hey if, if if my kid is walking in the street but uh -huh. hey instead of running i just slow them down yeah so still get hit exactly street, that's not love no. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that's that's yeah. you know that's that's still a hate like, exactly so if if i see my child is going in the wrong direction you know i have uh -huh. to pull them back i have to you know th those are the things that we do and that's what our call is as christians is saying Hey, you know, you may not like what I'm what I'm saying, but I do have to make you aware of X, Y, Z. Like th this is this is what it is. I don't hate you for it. Yeah. You know, you're no less than a person because of X, Y, Z. But this is just me as a brother telling you, you know, as another person, this yeah. is what it is. Yeah, I agree with you, man. And um, yeah, I also would like to reiterate that um, 
we as true believers, we are not about hating anybody. It's never about hating anybody. Hate is not supposed to be even in our vocabulary as far as that's concerned. Yep. Um, however, we have to know that there's a difference between what's right and wrong. Absolutely. And we have to express that freely without being afraid to say it. Because in this world nowadays, they want to make you afraid to say that it's wrong to be gay. They want you to be afraid to speak out because then they're thinking there's going to be some kind of retaliation against them in some kind of way, whatever that is. Um, when Chick-fil-A did what they did about the LGBT stuff, um, I thought from what I gathered of how they did it that um, it was a great stance to take as a recognized leader in their industry and to say, listen, man, we don't support this LGBT stuff. Right. So... Um, I heard, and I don't know how, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say this isn't a verified thing yet at this moment, but I heard that uh, they then later on kind of, I'm not saying they completely changed, but it was almost like they kind of backtracked and then they started supporting LGBT stuff. And I'm like, yo, you just basically kind of canceled out what you yeah. said. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure of the final, but I remember that whole thing, and because I, I remember in Toronto they were opening up a Chick Fil A and people were boycotting and mm -hmm. protesting. But I'm not sure what uh, the current stance on yeah. that is. Yeah. So I, I, I can't. Speak yeah. Yeah, like I said, I haven't gotten it verified yet, so I need to do more research. But this is something that I was listening to another interview, and that's pretty much what was brought up. And I'm like, okay. But I, I believe that they they're telling the truth, but I want to still look up and do my yeah. own research. But anyway, the point is, is that um, when we are seeing in a world where it's like people were backtracking on something that they were doing at first that was supporting what God says, and then it's like in some other kind of way they basically went against it. I have a problem with that, a big problem with that, because now we're talking about compromise. We're talking about, oh, now you got a, well, you got a form of godliness and deny the power thereof yeah. now, or what? What is it? Yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's amazing to me. Like you got if if you're gonna say something, stick behind it. Don't change it because a secularist, exactly, you know, has more insight. I mean, that's just like eating from the apple, right? It's, yeah. Let I me mean, eat from the tree, mm -hmm. uh, because. You know, it because you got more knowledge, earthly knowledge of of yeah. something doesn't mean um, you know that's godly knowledge or godly wisdom. Exactly. Right. So I, I say stick stick with your guns if if you know it's right. Um, especially that's the thing. Like people have been knowing this stuff is right for for ages. Yeah. And now in the past three years, that's when it's it's wrong. Yeah. Uh -huh. Like. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like, right. Like, uh -huh. it, when did it all of a sudden become wrong? Like, uh -huh. When did these ideas autumn all, all of a sudden um, conflict your hope? So then it's like every Christian now has to question who they are. If if, if we see our faith leaders or whoever um, suddenly twist around, what does that say to your congregation or to the people that supported your organization and and, and that matter? So. Um, that's why I think it's very important, uh, as well, to, for for every individual to know Christ on their own, for their for themselves, mm -hmm. uh, to spend spend their own time with God and don't depend on the church, yeah. don't depend on you know uh, the leaders of the community or whatever, um, because God wrote His word in our hearts, 
and that's that's where we should you know to, to look first yeah bro I mean it's the thing where right now you know uh, there's a scripture that comes to mind is they're calling that which is good bad like you said yeah. earlier what's bad good they're also raising up to themselves teachers having itching ears because they only want to hear what they want to hear you know what I'm saying and so right now um, we're seeing a great battle where it's like we we really gonna be able to tell who's a real Christians and who are not by what they say out of their own mouth yeah. they're telling on themselves by what they say Absolutely. I don't care what they try to you know perpetrate about their life if you're saying certain things out of your mouth your mouth is telling on you yeah. it's telling exactly what you're about yeah. if I say that that's orange grass right there and it's green it doesn't matter how many ways I try to say well I you know I'm a you know whatever they call those people a biologist or yeah. I'm a I'm a I'm a horticulturist so I know that that's orange right there no 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 you're not a horticulturist because you would know that's green oh, okay well oh yeah yeah it's green you know and then they try to you know that's what's happening in as far as people who call themselves Christians or people who call themselves preachers or whatever and it's like yo you either are going to be representing Jesus or you're not and one of the things I love about what you're doing is that I can already tell it's like you are you're gonna go forward with the conviction that you have with the beliefs that you have speaking on things from a biblical perspective you're not going to allow people to change the way you're talking because of any kind of political anything that's not going to determine how you move you move according to what the spirit is saying yeah. not what the, the how you get the most votes or something like that and here's the thing that ultimately man if we as believers really um, are able to get behind people like that we will see more people like that get into office mm -hmm. And that's the thing, it's like, again, you know, for people that are out there, when you're talking about you prayed about this and that or whatever, but you did nothing in addition to your prayers, yeah. then don't expect your prayers to be answered. I'm sorry. Unless it's, uh, unless it's something like, um, I'm praying for you to do nothing. Yeah, I'm praying for you to do nothing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he'll, he'll answer that one. Because <laughs> you don't have to do nothing for that one. He would just not do anything. You're right. But um, if you if you talking about actually seeing something change, you have to do something in addition to your prayers. And so if you're talking about the man who wants a job, he has to put out resumes. He can't just be praying at home talking about I want a job. It's not going to just fall on your lap and, and, and or at your doorstep or nothing. You know, um, I know I've heard stories, and these are different stories. These are about provision in the moment where you were at your table. And I've heard several people talk, tell stories like this, where they were sitting at the table, they had no money, they had no food, and they prayed together as a family for provision or whatever, and then somebody knocks on their door and they got food in their hands. That's a supernatural thing. And that's one of those things where, I mean, other than you going out and begging somebody, but you know what I'm saying, like in a situation like that, that's where you are, your action was the prayer because you actually have, there's nothing else you could do to show God that you trust him. You're trusting him for provision of a, a meal at the moment. Like you need a meal right at that moment. And so anyway, the point is, is that for the, for the majority of things that it, 
that happened in our lives, Jesus made it very clear. He said, when you pray, he didn't say if, he said when, and he said pray these certain things, but then he also, the word of God shows us again, that God in the form of Jesus would do an action in addition to him praying. Whether he spat on the ground and he made the mud and he put it on the eyes, that was an action along with the prayer. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever. You you say this and that. I mean, whatever. The the bottom line is, um, there's certain things like I would say, even with healing, I would say there's some action that you have to do, where you say, okay, I couldn't bend these knees. Well, try to bend the knee when you pray for the healing, yep. and then watch the Lord heal that knee. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Because now you're putting your action to that faith that you said you got. Yeah. So my point is that in and what we're doing as believers, if we want to see change, if we want to see the world start to become more like God wants it to be, then we have to put action behind our prayers. Yeah. And if we want change in the government, we need to get more people in governmental stuff, political stuff, get them more involved and start training up leaders that will go into politics yep. and then and then have those people stand out from the rest because they're not crooked they're not liars they're not cheaters they're not people that are saying one thing and doing another you know but they're representing with uh, character and integrity and so when we see those kind of people and here's the thing i believe that when people see that more often let's say they see a person like you you get in the office and you said just as an example, I will not tax this, this, and that anymore. And for that whole rest of the four years, you didn't tax that. Then that's someone that people say, wait a minute, you know, he did everything he said he was going to do. He didn't give any false promises. He didn't give false hopes. I mean, we didn't think he was real. We didn't think he was telling the truth because we don't trust politicians. But it seemed like we might be able to trust that one. You feel me? And now, all of a sudden, you build a culture of more people like you coming in that have integrity, that will keep their word and so forth and so forth. Now, people don't want to have the guys that's not repping that. Now, they want to be like, yo, what makes you different from everybody else that you kept your word? And that's when, what's the first thing you going to say? What I say? Yeah. What you, to me, it's like that's what you're supposed to do. Exactly, like, what, 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 but what? but but I'm saying <laughs> even beyond that, beyond that, is yo, I represent Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So you know, that's what I do. Yeah. And anybody who's really repping Jesus, they do the same. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So my point is that in your life, in your approach, whatever, that's gonna represent what it is that people are gonna want, and they're gonna make it clear that this is what they want. How you doing? So that's that's. You know, I'm gonna say something this though, man, because I think any other representation is unnatural. Yeah. So when I say when I say like what makes you, what, what made me keep my word because that's what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I think that like that's the natural state of being. Yeah. Right. Like it's it's unnatural to say you want to do something and not do it. It's unnatural to not keep a promise. It's unnatural. Um, with a lot of these, you know, kind of secular lifestyles that people, you know, tend to want to live. That's what, so, so I, I mean, to me, it's, it's real basic, because when I say, like, why'd you keep your word? Because I said it. Yeah. To me, like, that's so basic. That's, yeah, that's it what is. I'm supposed exactly. to do. And if I'm made in God's image, 
then that is my natural exactly, state of exactly, being. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Like anything else is abnormal. Exactly, and I'm glad you said it that way too because um, I said this to someone that's close to me one time. I said, listen, you're supposed to be like God, right? But right now, whatever you say out of your mouth, I can't trust that because you're not being like God. God keeps his word. You're not keeping your word. So I don't know what you're going to ever do because sometimes you do it, sometimes you don't. And if God was like that, man, we wouldn't be getting some of our prayers answered that we, you know, did what we need to do for whatever because we'll pray something and he won't do it even though he says he's going to do it. Or if the world was based on him not doing it sometimes, I mean, he spoke things into existence. Those things happen, excuse me, according to what he said, they happen. But if his word was no good, all of this would dissipate because his word is no good. So my point is that, you know, yes, that's the that's definitely a foundation. You are supposed to keep your word because you gave it, period. Now, I want to ask you, I want to switch gears a little bit. Okay. So we're obviously in a climate of a lot of uprising, okay, that's pretty much started around May. Mm-hmm. You know, mainly the main part of it started around May um, time frame when it came down to like three different murders of African-American people, mm-hmm. okay? The one that really set it off was George Floyd. Yep. Now, when George Floyd got murdered, it was two days after I came out of the hospital with COVID. Mm. And I didn't even know about it until maybe the day after that, or maybe something like that. Like I didn't even hear about it, but I was—I heard people saying something about something that happened. I'm like, what's going on? I didn't know what was going on. And then all of a sudden, I find out about George Floyd, and I'm like, are you serious? Like I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Yeah. And and the thing that makes me really upset about it, on many levels is that people were standing there recording but because of the way police are they would not have allowed a person to come in and disrupt that by saying get off him you know like you couldn't just pull them off of him and then you not now be in trouble or possibly the next eight minutes and 47 whatever 46 second person you know what i'm saying who knows but in a world where people can step in because they see an injustice done, that would have never happened. But because they had to sit back almost powerlessly and say, hey, get off of him, what are you doing, blah, blah, blah. Or they could speak those words because they know that they could possibly be the next victim if they actually tried to intervene. Anyway, in light of what happened, man, in light of the culture or or the, the, environment so to speak or the atmosphere that we're in right now the current thing that's going on like what do you feel is your one of your focuses based on that i know you're talking about the family Mm -hmm. but let's talk about it from this racial or ethnical ethnic perspective um what what are your thoughts first of all before you even answer that question let's just go back to how were you feeling as an african-american man seeing that um so i mean watching the video i I just thought it wasn't a good look for the officers um involved i I just thought the whole you know the situation just shouldn't have went down in the manner it did um you know and i've 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 seen the entire video now um so there was 
there's a lot of chaos in the entire scene. Um, you know, from from the the very beginning all the way until you know the the tragic end. Um, but the the thing is, I think for me um, is to actually look at each situation at a case by case basis and to you know kind of evaluate what's going on. I don't believe he should have you know passed away in that instance. Um, at least you know not from the the knee on the neck or anything like that. I think you know he should have got. Uh, his opportunity to, to go to trial or, or to, to whatever the result was going to be because he might have been even released from uh, jail that, that evening. Um, so I, I do believe that we have to, uh, that, that the justice should have been fair in that, that case. Um, but far as, from a Christian's perspective, I believe it's very important not to, uh, not to allow ourselves to be tempted to then get out of character um, because you know we have we have to look as a Christian as Christians at each case from a case-by-case -case basis um, and and not get caught up in the world what the world was doing um, because it is not it is it's my belief it's not in our nature to de destroy um, or in, in our case, overreacting and destroying our cities and destroying our towns as a result of it. Um, but it is our duty to stand up for an injustice, uh, to speak boldly about it, and to say, you know, we want to demand change. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so so I think you know there's there's stuff there, and I think there's um, the capacity and ability for us to 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 speak boldly and and and, and impact that change. But we have to be careful that we're also not being used by other um, other means. I, I went to the Black Lives Matter protest um, on June 1st, downtown Baltimore, so in front of City Hall, and it was very peaceful. Um, however, there were certain activities that I don't I don't necessarily subscribe to, um, and one of them was. The whole officers kneeling type of thing, right? Um, and what was happening was, you know, the, the crowd, I guess, was get, trying to get to the, uh, the officers to kneel. So the whole crowd was kneeling, but with fists raised. Um, to me, that reminds me of the story of um, King Nebuchadnezzar with, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, you know, trying to bow down or bow down to the, you know, the king telling them to bow, telling everyone to bow down, um, but they, they stood. Um, and I was down there and I would not kneel, not bow down because I strongly believe, you know, even as Christians, yes, we have to stand up, but we also can't bow down to what the world is telling us to bow down to. Um, and if we notice around the same time, you know, this is also re-sparking the whole, you know, the whole Black Lives Matter, yeah. um, you know, organization, the, the, the movement as well, and, and Black Lives Matter being painted everywhere, um, all this stuff. Uh, but, so I just think it's important, um, and as a Christian, to, um, to look at each case on a case-by-case -case basis, because um, I personally don't believe officers are out to get us. Um, I have family members that are that are officers. I have family members that uh, serve in the military. I have family members that that want to protect public. Um, uh, so I don't believe that 
all, all officers are out to get us. I do think there are a few bad apples that we blow these situations up. Um, you know, they're, they're tragic, yes. Uh, but it, I think it's very important for us not to overreact as Christians. So, um, so to those that are out there that would think, so if you're not going to, so to speak, Okay, let me let me ask it in this way. Let's just say there was no world outcry mm -hmm. where people were protesting and and demonstrating and so forth and so on. Um, do you feel that the subject at hand, which is about police brutality, um, would be addressed the way it's being addressed now? Um. Maybe or maybe not. I I I can't say for sure. Um, yeah, well, we won't know for yeah, sure if that didn't happen. But. but there there also has to be, um, like there has to be accountability on both both sides, right? Um, like we can't say we expect uh, police officers to behave a certain way, while as a civilian we're we're allowed to push the envelope on how we're able to behave in front of a police officer. Uh, so there has to be some level, you know, respect, uh, I mean, not respect, but some level of accountability uh, from both sides. My father was someone who, you know, when he was living in New York, um, was um, was leaving out of a store and, you know, put put on the ground with guns, uh, with guns pointed at him by police officers. Now, my father never spoke bad about police my whole time growing up. Uh, my father... Uh, never said, you know, these racist cops are out to try to get you or anything like that. What my father always taught me was respect, yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. Um, he taught me respecting others, respect, respecting law enforcement. Um, and he said, hey, if you get caught, <laughs> you know, you're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there was there was this level of respect, one, that I had for my father, and two, that he instilled in me on how to treat other people, not just officers, yeah. but just treat other people in general. Uh -huh. And what we're seeing, because of the breakdown of families and because of the break and lack of order and respect um, in the homes, what we're seeing is chaos in the streets. And we're seeing, we're seeing our kids and, and those youth that are growing up are essentially permitted to act any way possible, you can spit on police. You can, and and we're saying the police aren't can't can't do anything back. You yeah. know, like we've seen there's video, there's yeah. numerous videos of, of uh -huh. these type of actions happening. Yeah. Um, so we're saying you can do all this to police, but you know, police can't do this. Now the stats are overwhelming, overwhelmingly, the stats overwhelmingly show. Um, you know, I, I hate to use this analogy, but you have a better chance to get shot, get get um, get hit by lightning than to get shot by a police. So this this you said the stats show you have a better chance of being hit by lightning. Yeah, you have a better chance of getting struck by lightning uh -huh. than being shot by a police officer. Okay. Right. So, and we, we're building an entire movement off of that, um, which it, it's it, it's good to highlight an injustice. Um, but when we're highlighting injustice, we have to recognize that there are other um, serious injustices that, that are alongside of it. For you know, for example, you know we're we're in Baltimore City, where our homicide rate is pushing 300 this year. We don't have Black Lives Matter marches 
every time someone gets shot here. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't have Black Lives Matter marches every time a baby is aborted here. You know, I, I think there's more to be said um, than than the the loss of life um, with the, with the police involved. Now, any loss of life to me is is a tragic event. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not a giver of life, so I can't. I I don't want to be a taker of life either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but um, we we have to start being, you know, honest about these conversations, um, and and say and acknowledging, hey, you know, there there has to be a, a if we if we're going to expect the police to act a certain way, then we as civilians have to have this level of of expectation that we're going to act a certain way as well. Yeah, man, I agree. Um, sometimes some of these things are a very hard pill to swallow. Um, and in the sense of it happened again, and what am I going to do? How am I going to react to this? Now, I personally, I haven't done any marches. I haven't done any protests or anything like that. Um, I have a different approach to things. However, through my podcast or through something other some other means i will express how i'm feeling about things and hopefully people who are listening are going to be positively impacted by it um but at the same time there's certain things that i feel like if people didn't do something that would be considered extreme to get a person's attention mm -hmm. then they would be overlooked like it took, I hate to say it this way, but it seemed like it took George Floyd dying for things to start to sound or look serious in America. I have Caucasian friends who it, it wasn't until George Floyd died that now all of a sudden they talking about Black Lives Matter or they talking about, you know, um, and again, I want to make sure I say this again. I've said this already in a previous podcast, but I'm reiterating for those that didn't listen to that one that I don't support the organization called Black Lives Matter. I support the concept of a black person's life matters. Mm -hmm. So that's why I would say the hashtag Black Lives Matter, that's what it means to me, mm -hmm. even though I know that an organization started that hashtag. But anyway, my point is that, um, that when we're looking at these injustices that have been done, and we look at how it seemed like it took some extreme thing to happen for people to finally say let's have we had we need to have this conversation like i don't know if you saw this on the news but they were showing how books that were about what we call racial equality and stuff like that were sold out on amazon all of a sudden you couldn't get like it was like five or six different books that sold out on amazon because people were just like they want to know they want to read about this now all of a sudden and i guarantee you most of those people that bought them were caucasian my point is that um it's almost like and i'm not comparing him to jesus but it's almost like what happened with jesus if jesus hadn't died how many people would have really paid attention to what he said <laughs> what he did in the in the form of his dying made a mark in history that now affects the way people are talking about things with uh, religions and stuff and we can also say he's the only person in history 
who was supposed to be God that ever died for those that he loved and then resurrected. That's the only one. My point is that martyrs, even though George Floyd was not per se a martyr and he wasn't trying to die for a cause, that wasn't what happened. But his death was almost like being a martyr because it brought about a recognition to something that was always here, that has existed. I've experienced it myself personally, so I know about it. Um, and now people are having this conversation, even in the church, and I hate to say it that way, but it's, it's, a, it's a fact that even in the church, they finally started to have that conversation when they should have been had it. It should have been years ago, decades ago, that we would have had that conversation. But it took this situation with George Floyd to now all of a sudden open up a floodgate of conversations and, and different dialogues between people of different ethnic groups. Um, I think that his death, although, you know, it was definitely, you know, it shouldn't have happened the way that it did. But I would say that out of his death has come an awareness that was not there as well to certain things that are happening and and therefore should not be um, should not be overlooked, you know what I'm saying? And um, but anyway, you know, um, I'm I'm thankful that you know out of that there are these conversations happening because, like I said, my Caucasian friends that I have, I've had to break certain things down to them and help them to understand things that they didn't understand. And it's like, but if they had never seen that, and I'm not saying it to say that they didn't care, but I'm saying that that caused them to really say, boom, like it was, it hit them in the face, like, oh man, what's going on here? We need to talk about this, you know? And so now they were having the conversations. And so, um, and it caused people to also finally start to deal with their own internal battles that they have as far as like what they feel about other ethnic groups and so forth and so on. Why do they respond to the way they respond to them? Those kind of things. I think it's uh, interesting that some things can get you like, like to a tipping point. And I guess the big question is how do you get, how did people get to think the way they did about certain ethnic groups? Is it through personal interaction or is it through uh, the mass media on what, what's being shown to you. I would because, think it's personal and both. I think it's both. Because, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I tend to make my judgments on people based on the personal interactions with, with, with them. I don't say, uh, you know, I, I mean, we all do stereotypes, but most of you know, yeah. the time I do it like in comedic ways. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh -huh. you know, I, I do like watermelon. Like. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. But, you know, the value, um, you know, at least for me personally, I ascribe to a person is based on my interaction with the, if I don't know the person, then, you know, I, you know, I, I, yeah, how are you going to make a judgment call on them? Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think also too, like a lot of, a lot of things, you know, especially surrounding a lot of things that happen, um, especially the Christians believe that the wages of sin is death, right? Uh -huh. So, it, 
it doesn't show like how we get to the death of you know an individual or whatever yeah. but it does it does say that the wages of sin is, is, is death um, and I think that's another conversation that need, needs to be had because our, Christians are we being a light to the world and are we saying are we really um, holding our fellow man accountable if we're if we're if we're accepting a lot of bad behavior and then getting outraged when a bad behavior leads to an unwanted outcome uh-huh. um, so I think I think that's another conversation too that's 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 not being looked at now here's the flip side of this too is because Jesus uh, when we compare to Jesus Jesus was a man who walked the earth you know perfect right uh-huh. or you know blameless to sinners right yeah uh-huh. um, and so we have to look at the persecution um, that he received while he was alive yeah right so and, and and also remember the way Jesus died was because of the mob yelling and screaming that we need to crucify him. yeah you know what I mean so even when you're living life as as perfect like Jesus did um, the mob is going to yell and scream at you because you're you're not conforming to the mob yeah right you're not conforming to um, the ways of the world that as we prescribe it or just the way we see yeah. now, as, as Christians we you know subscribe to a higher law in which that we don't create life we don't take life right we you know we trust God in all things and you know I, I do think it's I find it interesting more than anything that um, you know that we overreact when you know these events like this occur, I, I, I do think it's very important for Christians um, to look at the situation, evaluate the situ- situations, forgive where where we need to forgive, um, and you know have the tough conversations. Um, but you know just just acknowledge that you know God God's plan is bigger than than any of us. Right? Yeah, I agree, man. Well. Um so as far as moving forward when is the election for um city council president november 3rd okay november 3rd all right so for those that are baltimore uh you know uh residents you gotta you got a man here that sounds like he's gonna be repping the kingdom to the fullest and you know if you if you are hearing this and and you want to see things change in the city then I would say he's the man that you need to be voting for. Um, I don't know of any other candidate that's talking about anything with Christian principles in it. I don't know of anyone out there doing that. We got a couple. A couple? Okay. All right. Well, anyway, I like this guy. So uh, (laughs) as far as I'm concerned, you know, I think he's the one that needs to be it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, And, um, you know, we just got to get behind someone like you as much as possible like you know i'm 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 really uh, serious about that i've already done some things to try to help you know with what you're doing and um, and you know as you keep me kind of uh i guess in the loop of some things then i can do more of that but um i know that the election is coming up soon um 
So as far as when you actually got in, did you just get in this year or something or what? No, so this is the first time running. I've never been in politics before. Okay. Um, I professionally work as a cybersecurity engineer. Yeah. Um, so solving problems is kind of my thing. That, yeah. You know, uh -huh. so, so I'm, I'm pretty uh, in tune with challenges and, and, and okay. getting the desired outcome. Yeah. Um, also, you know, I, I make you know, multi-million dollar deals a lot of times, so dealing with large yeah. amounts of money is not like, uh -huh. um, it's not like yeah. a huge thing to me. Yeah, I feel um, But yeah, it's the first time running for office. Again, I just saw that, you know, we need to have that change. We need to have some, some kingdom-minded people getting involved in, in politics. Exactly. Well, thank you for being on the show, man. Um, if you have any way that you want people to contact you or whatever, you can share that with them right now. Yeah, yeah. So you can visit my website, www.jp4bmore.city. That's www.jp4bmore.city. Uh, my Twitter is at M-R-J-P-I-S-G-R-E-A-T. So that... That's at Mr. JP is great. And you can also just look me up on Facebook, Giovanni Patterson for Baltimore. Sounds good, man. Well, thank you again for being on the podcast. It was a pleasure, and I'm looking forward to working with you, you know, in the future as well. Absolutely, man. Right. Definitely. So for those that are listening, um, thank you for your support. Um, we appreciate you. If you're on iTunes, please visit iTunes on our podcast and give us a five-star rating and also give us a great comment on on the, uh, what you've been hearing. Uh, it helps us to get more exposure and it also helps us to be able to become more of a, you know, a voice in the, in the field of podcasts. Thank you again for all those that are listening. We appreciate you. Peace.